the eighth episode of the Waterlog Podcast. We're your hosts, Howard Marlowe and Dan Janolfi. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks very much to Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network for hosting us. If you're not subscribed to our email updates on federal policy, please go to waterlog.net. Today's episode covers a budget deal between Congress and the White House we've all been looking forward to, the Coastal Barrier Resources Act, expanding a national core program, the Midwest flooding and lake levels in the Great Lakes, and some news on new legislations and hearings on Capitol Hill. So let's get started. Congress and congressional leaders in the White House have announced last night that they've reached a deal on a budget and a deficit spending compromise. Now, and the president has said he's going to sign it. We expect the House to vote on this by the end of this week, and the Senate will do that by the time it goes on recess on August 2nd. The House is going on recess at the end of this week. Um, recess uh, means more than going out and playing. It means taking the month off. Um, so at the moment, what we have is uh, a budget deal uh, that sets caps on spending at $320 billion over two years, and uh, which will go toward uh, both the increases go to both uh, defense and domestic uh, national programs. The nation's debt ceiling will also be raised through July 2021. The allowed increase will spread among Congress's 12 spending bills ironed out in conference between the House and Senate. Mandatory spending in the future was cut to offset the proposed increase, and customs fees will be tapped to offset some of the additional spending. But if anything, that's really just cosmetic as the customs fees are not that high. The bills are expected, the appropriations bills, it is expected to be drafted, ready for Senate markup in September. That is, staff is going to be working during August when the bosses are on recess and they're going to have bills ready for their uh, respective subcommittees uh, to handle markup and then get reported out and onto the floor, but getting them all done by the end of the month. Uh, that is the end of September, is really an impossibility unless they're wrapped into packages called minibuses. Of course, that leaves the potential for a continuing resolution looming out there, and those are an evil phrase, I guess you could say. A lot of the media reports uh, about the deal that you may be reading uh, really focus on the fact that it's increased the federal deficit substantially. Of course, Trump has promised that if he's reelected in 2020, he'll reduce government spending the following year. I believe one of his 2016 promises was that if he got elected, he would reduce government spending. That was starting in 2017, so we already have, uh, looks like, uh, four misses coming on that. Well, really, it's horse hockey. There's very little room to cut spending on the federal budget. This is Social Security, veterans, benefits, and other mandated costs that really make up most of federal spending. The only way to get the deficit down is to stop saddling our children and grandchildren with huge interest payments on the deficit is to raise revenues. That's that awful four-letter word called tax. Now, I read a report in the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier this week 
that said that corporate tax rates for over 100 of the largest companies were below 12%. Just how many of those belows are zero, it didn't say, but we know that corporate tax breaks make it possible for too many to pay absolutely zero or next to nothing. And Congress is really unwilling to deal with the reality that it needs to find ways to raise revenues. That's an issue I'll be facing soon enough. Uh, yes, you are already contributing to my welfare right now. Thank you. Well, let's jump on to another, uh, another sensitive issue. So it's called the Coastal Barrier Resources Act. But first, we'll go over what it is. Now, the Coastal Barrier Resources Act, CBRA, is commonly referred to as COBRA. So I'm going to refer to it as that from here on. Now, COBRA is essentially designed to reduce unnecessary taxpayer expenditures by limiting federal funds from being spent in risky coastal areas. Let's take, for example, uh, an, an area on a marshland with severe exposure to tropical and winter storms. Now, that area is, does not have disaster relief funds or federal flood insurance funds available uh, in any of those COBRA zones. Now, COBRA has done a lot of good and saved taxpayers a lot of money, but there's a little bit of funny business going on. So right now, there are some efforts to change the COBRA maps. Now, Congress must approve maps if it's provided. The Fish and Wildlife, Wildlife Service is redrawing some of the maps, but in one particular location in Connecticut, which is home to some of the ultra-wealthy, uh, some of those homeowner, homeowners may have federal assistance available uh, for their houses. Why? Well, this is because Fish and Wildlife says that the maps were drawn incorrectly and should have included some of those houses. All right, so what's the big deal? Well, in, in this case, as Fish and Wildlife Service redraws its maps, the ultra-rich are getting benefits, which they truly don't need. However, in another region that we know of, an entire community home to thousands that has been around for decades gets those benefits of federal funds taken away because a map was incorrectly drawn. That's what's going on here, and it's a serious problem, because would you rather your tax dollars go to protect a handful of one percenters or protect an entire community by the shore that you can go visit and enjoy some rest and relaxation? I think we probably know the answer to that. So if you guys have any COBRA problems, we're really interested to hear about them because this is an issue that is all over the East Coast and Gulf Coast. Now, moving on to another issue, uh, not an issue actually, uh, this is a bill that was brought up by uh, Representative Josh Carter of California. For many years, our firm ser served as a consultant to the Corps' national program, the Institute for Water Resources. And, uh, Harder introduced a bipartisan bill, H.R. 3512, that would reauthorize an expired program, which is the Water Resources Research Act, which was originally passed in 1964. And that creates a Water Resources Research Institute in every state to address issues of water supply and water resource management, with an emphasis on locally tailored solutions. Harder wants to reauthorize the program for five years. Now, California has a California Institute for Water Resources program through the University of California, but not through the actual state. I think it'd be an, inter an interesting idea to have each state have their own Institute for Water Resources. Any thoughts on that? I, I think it'd be a great idea to do that, Dan. I think it'd be, uh, and I hope that Representative Harder's bill uh, moves forward because you need to have a focus. Uh, all coastal states have coastal programs in one way or another. We're talking about water in general because what comes at the coast doesn't stay at the coast and vice versa. What starts elsewhere eventually finds its way to the coast or to other uh, major watersheds. So w what you need is to try to be able to take that holistic 
view that we've right. been espousing for a long time. We're going get to get to that exactly. a, little, a little later. So, talking about water, major problems, Midwest flooding. Now, we normally focus in our blog and our podcast on coastal issues uh, that have to do with flooding. It, it, it takes a big chunk of our attention because it's a big chunk of the problem on the coast. But given all the flooding that's happened recently in the Midwest, we really can't ignore the water challenges the Midwest faces as, uh, you know, they, they are right now uh, with waters rising, just doing tremendous amounts of damage, especially since our river infrastructure itself is well past its 50-year design life. Their challenges and costs are piling up in terms of how we're managing our water resources in the Midwest, off the coast. We rely on farmers to be able to farm and get their products to market. That involves them not being flooded on the farm and the infrastructure being solid enough to get the products to market and vice versa in terms of the imports that come along. The representatives Andy Craig of Minnesota and Rodney Davis of Illinois are seeking support for American farmers, shippers, and the core and increased investment in our river in infrastructure. And I believe they have a dear colleague out on that that uh, is urging people to, to get in support of that. We'll sign on. Yep, definitely. Now you mentioned uh, higher, higher levels of, of water, whether, whether it be a, a lake or an ocean or, uh, or a river. Now the EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler announced two million for Great Lakes cleanup, and I just want to mention something about, about Great Lakes. I had I had a colleague show me some photos of the water level on Lake Charlevoix, which is it's a lake, uh, fairly large, none of the Great Lakes, but it's connected to Lake Michigan. And I actually had the pleasure of uh, visiting there myself about four years ago. And when I did visit, there was a small, about twenty foot wide shoreline with beach shacks and a concrete pier that sat about a foot and a half above the water level. That pier is now entirely submerged. And just to see that, you know, a place where I used to enjoy, and they have little, uh, those, it's like an inflatable trampoline and other sorts of things that, that uh, you know, younger kids can go out on. It's just sad to see a summertime feature like that essentially rendered unusable because lake levels are so high. And in addition, boathouses have flooded and the whole tourism scene has really been impacted by higher water levels. Well, it's also caused serious erosion problems that stretch from New York to Wisconsin. It's just amazing the flooding and the damages that are being caused by that. And we, as somebody else had once told us, uh, Dan, uh, the Great Lakes were misnamed. And once they said uh, lakes, people think, well, not much. This is not only the lakes huge, but the problems along them are like any other coast that we have. I've mentioned before, they get waves. They get yeah. People actually go to surf in the Great Lakes. Not, not talking Hawaii or any, any sort of huge waves, but people do, do go and surf there. So it's good to see that the Great Lakes are getting two million for, for Great Lakes cleanup. Moving on to another issue of teleworking. Department of Interior is curtailing its policy on teleworking, but not by much, saying that employees are now physically required to report to their official duty station at least two full work, way, work days per bi-weekly pay period. My goodness, two days. Well, we know some federal employees who telework frequently, and some of those even telework from the bars on Fridays. Uh, you folks know who we're talking about up there, just a little north of us. Let's move on to Bills on the Hill. 
Most of what uh, we're seeing going on here will unfortunately be overshadowed by Mueller's appearance on Capitol Hill this week. Nonetheless, there's a lot of good work going on here we're going to highlight for you. Well, starting in the Senate, the Senate Commerce Committee, Science, Commerce, Transportation, will vote Wednesday on a bill to help improve coordination among states. Uh, this is uh, Mississippi Republican Senator Roger Wicker's bill, S-2166. It would authorize creation of regional ocean partnerships under NOAA, and the partnerships would be made up of states that share a coastline. So the group's governing board would make up, be made up of people picked by the states and be tasked with coordinating resources and conservation efforts. The body would have the ability to provide grants to tribes, state and local governments, universities, NGOs, individuals, private companies. But this bill, Dan hits is something that's really been very important that we've been promoting through Coastal Strategies and our sister firm, Warwick Group. It's called regionality. We referred to it earlier in the uh, podcast. It's based on the simple principle of collaboration among local and state governments, as well as the private sector, in time of trying to resolve water resource problems. So I, I'm glad to see this bill moving. Yeah, it's something that's really important. And, and essentially, regionality is, is we want to stop doing Band-Aid projects and come up with a, a systematic approach to address our water resources needs. Yeah, absolutely. And moving on, we have a, a climate-friendly highway bill. This is a Senate bill which is going to address our crumbling infrastructure, and it's supposed to include climate-friendly provisions to address resilience. That bill is currently taking shape and should be introduced before the Senate takes its August resource recess. And while we don't have uh, the details, what we'd hope for in this bill would actually result in more federal investment in highways. Well, some people believe in the tooth fairy, but for all the talk about this president's commitment to infrastructure, neither he nor Congress has backed up with all those nice words with even a penny of new investment so far. The House is holding multiple hearings this week on climate change, a disaster bill in the House to require the Director of the Office of Management and Budget to annually submit to Congress a report on all disaster-related assistance provided by the federal government is getting a vote this week. That bill is H.R. 1984. Other bills in Congress, uh, another one that doesn't have a name yet coming out of the Senate, is the Water Justice Act from Senator Kamala Harris of California and Representatives Dan Kildee and Brenda Lawrence of Michigan. It would invest $50 billion in emergency funds for testing contaminants in water and removing lead pipes from water systems. And an additional $170 billion would be invested in the Safe Drinking Water and Clean Water Act revolving loan funds for an entire investment of $250 billion. Going into the House, uh, there is a bill to amend the Coastal Zone Management Act of 1972, H.R. 3596. Um, and that will establish a working waterfront task force and grant program. H.R. 3115 from Frank Pallone would direct NOAA to make grants for climate resilient living shoreline projects. The focus of the proposal is to protect coastal communities by supporting ecosystem functions and habitats with the use of natural materials and systems. Another one from Salud Carbajal, H.R. 3541 would amend the Coastal Zone Management Act of 1972 again to require the Commerce Department to establish a Coastal Climate Change Adaptation Preparedness and Response Program. Got three more here. H.R. 729 from Derek Kilmer, Washington, and H.R. 2185 from 
Eleanor Holmes will also amend the Coastal Zone Management Act to authorize grants to American Indian tribes and the District of Columbia, us here, respectively. Uh, HR 335 from Brian Mast, Republican from Florida, to require the Interagency Task Force on Harmful Algal Blooms and Hypoxia to develop a plan to reduce, mitigate, and control algal blooms in South Florida. That was a big issue last, uh, last summer and really hoping not to do the same thing here. There's just huge impacts. H.R. 3723 from Mike Levin, California, includes measures to promote desalination technology. It's going to be increasingly important as well as we run into water issues. Now, we're big into building coalitions for knowledge sharing and advocacy. That's why we started Waterlog. One of the biggest issues facing coastal practi practitioners is sediment management. That's why we opened up the Sediment Management Work Group on LinkedIn. And feel free to join and get involved in the conversation. You can find the group on our website. Go on to waterlog.net and find a link on our homepage on the left side under bulletins. Uh, in the future, we're going to be hopefully coordinating a lot of other groups and work groups to really hone in on, on some of these ideas which are extremely important as we're dealing with climate change, sea level rise, and all sorts of other issues that affect the coast. That's it for today's waterlog. If you're going to the beach, we hope you don't encounter any of the stinky sargum seaweed. Uh, sargum, I think it's called sargum uh, grass uh, seaweed that's made essentially a belt from the Caribbean all the way all the way over to the Cape Verde Islands off of West Africa. It's already in Miami and I remember seeing some in New Jersey I believe at some point. Could be wrong about that but if you guys have seen any please report. Until next time. We'll see you. Thanks very much for listening. Take care.